Frank, I heard that you got a little surprise in the mail recently. I didn't even get it in the mail. I went into the outside world, James. Like the before times. What is that? What was it like? (laughs) It was odd and had lots of weird lines and posters and stuff like that. (laughs) I did. I bought a device. I couldn't out myself. I wanted an AirTag to play with. And I wasn't smart like everyone else on the internet and order them online. (laughs) So I did what lazy people do and see if there were any available in the store. And guess what? There are. There are a whole bunch available in the store. So I went out to the outside land. In an Apple store? Is that where you went? Like to a legitimate Apple store? Yeah. Our Apple store is a little bit funny here. It's at the U District. Um, that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say University Village. Yes. Uh, it's. It used to be a nice Apple store, and then it became a ridiculous Apple store. You know, like all giant glass windows and glass doors and pavilions. It's. It's ridiculous and it was finished just when the pandemic started (laughs) so i've only been in it once but what they've done and they got pretty lucky here they built a giant outdoor um i don't even know what to call it landing foyer whatever and they've turned that into kind of an outside apple store and they do a really nice job um everything's kind of by appointment So in the app, you buy something, you schedule an appointment. I'm sure people have gone through this, but I hadn't gone through this. I I found it all kind of interesting. Show up at the thing, put a mask on, get shuffled around just like you're at an airport. Feels very much like being at an airport. And eventually they give you products (laughs) after enough rigmarole. Nice. And what product did you get? I bought myself an AirTag. Just yes. one. <laughs> just one. Just a solo. Solo dolo. Yeah, yeah. So the, the fun thing about these are you're supposed to get them like personalized. So I totally, in, in a better mode, I would have ordered a bunch online and picked some cute emojis or put my initials on them or something really vain like that. Yeah. But I didn't do that. I have one with an Apple logo. We'll call it the OEM AirTag. And I got it just because I wanted to know how these things work kind of from a developer's perspective. Mm. I, I, when we were talking about them on the show, I was really finding hard use cases for it. I'm like, I don't think I actually need <laughs> one of these. But eventually, curiosity got the cat. And I just wanted to get one. And I'm hoping to I uh, wanted to talk about it on the show. Yeah, I was super on the fence. I literally had it. My my mouse hovered <laughs> over the buy button. And I was like, do I really need this? Should I have this? Where am I going to put it? I don't even leave the house. What you know? I know. Uh, I know. So well, that, that, that was the funniest part. I'm like, what do I take when I leave the house? <laughs> it's true. I feel like I'm going on a, a, a trip. You know, I'm like, do I pack? Should I should I bring luggage? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a conundrum. It is a it is a uh, real world. It's going to be really weird for the next six months, just like it's been awkward for the last twelve months. So yeah, but it's even more awkward now because we're transitioning into normality, and that's mm-hmm. just going to be so strange. So anyway, as true. my transition to normality, I thought I'd get a a, a range finding device and all that, and I'm happy to report I I like it. It works pretty well. I'm going to actually turn it on here and see if we can get some cool Foley. Will we hear it? Oh, I heard it. 
Okay, little Foley. <laughs> it's uh, a cute little, uh, it's like a little hunk of white plastic that just barely hugs that CR2032 battery with a little cap on the backside. I didn't even get any of the accessories to clip it to anything. So I've just been flipping it around like a quarter in my bag and in my pocket, just messing around like that. So I really got bare bones stuff over here. Nice. Uh, now, here's the thing with these little devices is they remind me of another device, Frank, that I was a champion of for many years, maybe like was this five, six years ago, maybe uh, things called eye beacons. Have you heard of these things? Mm-hmm. Remember these things? <laughs> we still have them. We still have APIs for them. They just haven't taken off the way we were all kind of hoping, right? They just... Um... We were hoping that all stores would do like the Amazon Go store where you Mm -hmm. just walk into the store, steal something and walk out and then your credit card gets charged. Uh, We're all hoping for that future. It hasn't come yet, but I think it's still coming. I, You know, I remember in 2004, I think I bring this up on the show all the time because it was (laughs) a very important moment in my life. I read an IEEE Spectrum article saying Bluetooth is dead in 2004 so it's just like you know just because things have a little bit of a lull or that doesn't mean they're not going to come back or there's still good technologies and all that so yeah iBeacons you were like the master of iBeacons you ran a crazy game during conferences oh my goodness I did wow 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 Frank that's all yeah I I totally forgot I uh I I created the Evolve quest for Xamarin Evolve 20 16 i guess at this point how can you forget it it's unforgettable wow i we are good friends over at estimote which is um they they have a lot of cool new products i was just browsing their website uh including one with ultra wideband i'll put you a link there so you can browse that while i talk here uh myself and mike bluestein actually did a session at xamarin evolve on bluetooth low energy and iBeacons, and we demoed a few of them including the estimotes on stage and how you could you know, at the point they were really for, Hey, is this thing nearby? And am I close to it or not? And what was cool is we showed that in real time on stage for iOS and Android. And then I did have evolve quest, which was, there were these little, Oh my God, my goodness. There were these little placards that we made and we hid them and you could, (laughs) um, when you're nearby them, you could, um, put them in the app and they would show a trivia question. Then you get a prize at the end. And we even had a fallback, which was to scan a QR code if your device didn't have Bluetooth, which was, wow, we're so clever. Uh, It was really, really cool. And and yeah, our our good friends over at Estimote had given us a bunch of um, Estimote beacons, which are iBeacon, um, which is the Apple thing, and then Eddystone, which is the Google thing compatible Mm. with the APIs. And they're really, really nice. They like last for like ever, basically, like four to five year battery life. And it's really, really cool. Since then, uh, they came out with these other things, which are ultra wideband for um, indoor uh, positioning and navigation, which is kind of like what we're talking about with these Apple AirTags. And I've seen other products come out since then, too, which are mimicking these to navigate you around uh, different facilities. But it looks like they make all sorts of stuff like workplace wearables and a bunch of others. I think they pivoted into enterprise definitely more i think that that's where the use case is like if you're in uh you know an airport or you're in medical or you're in anything where you need to track things moving around let's say your ups or 
I guess they have FedEx on here, so maybe I should say FedEx, and you could track <laughs> things around. But the concept was that was like you could stick one of these things, and you could detect them anywhere. And they even had little tiny tags that you could, you know, stick on uh, your backpack or something. And what was cool is that Apple has a great API um, that enables you to uh, have your application automatically detect when one of the things are nearby. So Apple has these in their stores. I'm pretty sure this is how it works. It's like geolocation, but without, uh, it's like geo, geo, uh, <laughs> what's that G, the other geo, the geo fencing. Thank you, Frank. Really helpful today. <laughs> it's like geo fencing. <laughs> it's like geo fencing, but you're inside of a mall. Remember a mall? Like if, imagine if you went into Northgate and you're like, oh, the, there's not an Apple store. But if there was geolocation indoors is really hard. So that's why these proximities are so important. So what was cool is that you could walk into an Apple store inside of a mall and it would know you're nearby because these Bluetooth low energy, the future, if you will, is broadcasting these things. And you could do all sorts of other things with them too. I remember talking to somebody at some time they were doing something with schools and just wanted to make sure like they could they could kind of make sure that pe- where people were in the bus and this, and there's a bunch of different things if I remember back in the day. Um, or another one, I'm just going to keep off rambling off stuff. <laughs> I <you>. know. <laughs> this one was really I, cool. I remember talking to someone, which was like, they were doing HVAC or something. And the whole concept is that they would, they would code these beacons with specific identifiers. And then when the technician would come up with the app, it would open the user guide for that specific oh. one automatically. They didn't have to scan anything or do anything. It, so there's a lot of clever things. That could be done. However, air tags are completely different. Is that correct, Frank? <laughs> no, I think I think you just described like the whole industry. That, that was well said. You're uh, welcome. Put that into a blog post. Uh, the battery life is kind of impressive, isn't it? Like you were saying, four years. The the UWB site, which is Estimotes Ultra Wideband Chip, mm-hmm. they're saying two years. That's good. Apple says one year on the air tag. I don't know what the battery difference is between the UWB and the air. Uh, AirTag. The AirTag, the cool thing is it's that old standard battery, so it's a nice cheap battery. Can you believe Apple with a battery? I just, I still can't get over it. That you can replace. Yeah, I just, it boggles my mind. (laughs) So, um, the one big enabler, the unifier here, I think that you're, we're seeing these companies move a tiny bit away from Bluetooth, and that's where they're getting into these custom ultra-band chips. Mm. And I'm failing as an electrical engineer here. And what does ultra wideband actually mean? Other than, you know, it's probably a pretty big wideband, (laughs) something like that. Um, But it's a separate chip. And in the Apple world, it's called the U1 chip. And this was added to iPhones, iPhone 11-ish, I believe. And there was basically absolutely no point for it (laughs) because they hadn't (laughs) released any AirTags yet. But Apple did release an API called the Nearby Interaction API. And it was specifically written for iOS 14, so hot off the presses, and only works with U1 chips. So super hot off the presses, only works with modern hardware. So we are getting into this awkward transition where... What was so cool about Bluetooth 4 was everything was Bluetooth 4. Anything could become a beacon. Every device walking around in your mall. You called it a mall. A mall. I don't know mm-hmm. what that I don't know what that is, but whatever. Walking around in that thing. 
those would create like an ad hoc mesh network and they would blah, blah, blah to each other. And that's how you would try to triangulate your signal. These ultra widebands are also doing that triangulation. They're just doing at a much, um, much higher level of accuracy. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of fun about the AirTag. I just, when I got it, I was like, well, I'm not going to have like a thief steal my bag. So what am I going to do with this thing? So I came up with the fun game of shutting my eyes, throwing it up into the air, and then seeing if I could find it. So playing hide and seek with my AirTag. This is what the COVID has brought. Thank you, Rona. <laughs> this is what brings joy to my heart. But it was super fun because Apple has within the Find My app, uh, the there's a new, your little chippy will show up if it's within any sort of range. I haven't figured out what the exact, like how far away it can be because it'll try to talk to the internet. You know, it uses some of the same technology we were doing for COVID tracking uh, to do that kind of anonymous mesh networking of positions and that mm. kind of stuff. Really tricky code and all that to get right but i kind of trust apple on that side but the neat thing is when you got within about 10 meters of the chip it would switch to this high accuracy mode which puts a big old arrow on your screen points you in the right direction tells you exactly how far you are from it and it's that level of hyper accuracy that i think is really cool in this new generation yeah i think that is really neat uh, I don't have a U1 trip chip in my device because I mm. am old mm. school with my iPhone SE2 uh, <laughs> over here. However, uh, I'm pretty sure Heather has one. She's got an iPhone 11 Pro, so that that would probably qualify yeah. as it. And I was I was trying to think of other APIs equivalent because often a lot of times Apple devices or APIs sometimes have been, you know done a little bit, uh, and, and they iterate on them and improve them. And I was, I was remembering some of the estimate APIs and SDKs that try to do something similar. I remember Google had these nearby APIs. However, those are pretty different. They, they didn't do what this nearby interaction API does. It's similar. What they did was just enable you to pub sub to nearby devices if they were listening. In fact, one of my favorite apps that nobody uses it, but one of my favorite apps that does use it was Pocket Cast. One of my favorite podcast apps is let's say you and I, because it was also cross-platform, which I'm BLE, is you and I use Pocket Cast. Instead of you saying like, hey, like here are all my favorite podcasts, you could just open your open your nice. iPhone and you could say, you know, share, share my podcast subscriptions with nearby and then you would just see them on your device. So it was like, hey, found James's iPhone. It's kind of like... Um, uh, when you share something uh, with somebody and airdrop, it's like airdrop. Airdrop. Yeah. It's airdrop. Well, what you're really talking about on the Apple side is called multi-peer connectivity. And this is an API that came out a long time ago, mm. back in the, back when I think Bluetooth 4 came out. I think that's what kind of enabled it. Mm. And Apple made it really easy to create these very lightweight mesh networks where you could just find devices, join mm. them to a network, share messages uh, to them. Multi-peer connectivity. And the funny thing is the new API, Nearby Interaction, that still uses the device discovery mode of multi-peer connectivity. So they're building upon uh, their own APIs. So I'd say that's where the equivalency between the Android 
and iOS one is, boy, you're just making me think .NET needs a unified model for nearby communications. We don't have an API for that really in .NET. All you'd really want to do is expose some streams, uh, streams and things, but that'd be a fun one to try to make uh, cross-platform. But um, the, the big problem, James, is this nearby interaction API that I have been talking about and that I'm excited about doesn't work with AirTags. No. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, that seems like a bummer, but maybe our friends at Syncfusion can help out because they have everything that you need. Look at that transition. That's pretty good, huh, Frank? I like um, it. I like mm-hmm. it. They have everything you need to make an absolutely delightful application, no matter what you're building, whether it's a mobile app, a desktop app, a web application, whether you're using Xamarin, React Native, you're using React, you're using Angular, you're using ASP.NET, you're using WPF, you're using UWP. They got you covered. They got beautiful charts, graphs, awesome controls, toggles, switches, custom lists, collection views. I mean, they have everything, really, to be honest with you. I use them in my Island Tracker application on all sorts of different different controls and widgets to get a really beautiful, consistent user interface. They have more than that, though. They have really complex controls like PDF viewers and editors and photo editors. They also have Word and Excel integrations. You can create Excel files or read Excel files. They even have dashboards that you can integrate into your applications or wire it up to your data source and visualize your data for all of your Excel spreadsheet reports that you need to give to your manager. Listen, if you're looking for something for your application that will make it absolutely stunning, check out our good friends at SyncFusion. That is syncfusion.com slash conflict. And thanks to SyncFusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, Syncfusion. Oh, graphs are exactly what you need for this kind of stuff. It's so hard to debug this stuff. You just graph, graph everything. Yes. Use those Out, Syncfusion graphs. Output, output, output. So you're saying that you bought a device and you, Frank, can't even develop against said device? The shame, the horror. I can't even hack this device, James. <laughs> so, you know me, I'm not going to look at the API first. I want to see this thing uh, talking over the network first. So I wanted to investigate all its Bluetooth goings-ons. Mm. And I've written Bluetooth scanning apps in the past. I actually have one that I, I wrote that I like to use myself. And I brought the little AirTag up because it is, I should say, although it is a U1 chip and it's that ultra wideband, it still has a Bluetooth chip on it. And I figure that's mostly for like discovery and configuration and updating the firmware. Who knows what Apple's doing with it? Well, I wanted to know. <laughs> I was trying to find out what they were doing. And I discovered like Bluetooth it had four services published. Mm. But every time I would try to connect to one of these services, my app would crash. <laughs> like my, my Explorer app, you know, crash. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Great. Okay, so I guess I'm a terrible programmer. I'll go find another person's app. Try their app. Crashed. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I will try Apple's Bluetooth app. Apple has, um, if you go to your developer downloads on Apple and look for additional Xcode tools, mm-hmm. there are, there's like a cool clipboard viewer. There's Bluetooth investigators. There's packet sniffers. There's just lots of little cool developer tools and a thing called the additional Xcode tools. And one of them is a Bluetooth sniffer. So I loaded that one up. Um, 
which was fun. If you're on Big Sur, all the permission models are so weird. Make sure you go to your preferences. It's like Vista. It's the worst. And make sure you go enable Bluetooth. Bluetooth is a thing now. Bluetooth didn't used to be protected, but it's protected now. Yeah. So go make sure that you give it permission. Got the Apple One uh, to show the device. Every time I clicked on a service, it would lose its connection. Mm. <laughs> So I don't know if this device is 100 million percent obeying the Bluetooth standard. I don't know if it's just constantly power cycling itself. But so far, I've had a very difficult time hacking it, (laughs) you know, just trying to see the Bluetooth traffic myself. So that's when I started looking toward the API. I'm going to catch my breath. Yeah, I was going to say, because, I mean, there are definitely Bluetooth services and devices in which you can't connect to it. Like they just not broadcast. Well, I guess if you're broadcasting, you can connect. But I guess the problem here is that somebody is connecting to it because you're right. Like That's the thing is your iPhone can connect to it and detect things. So we have why, you know, the only thing I could think of is that they... Sometimes I've seen this with the Echelon indoor cycling bike. There was that little, um, you know, the little monitor, little display I created. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here's a fun fact for you is that was off of that project I made for my, my bike and just made it generic. So ordered any little $20 sensor that you could buy for measuring cadence of how fast you're pedaling the Echelon bikes, which is a special type of bike. They have their own, um, Bluetooth. And sometimes they have devices like a tablet that's installed or you can connect from the app. But I was looking at the guy's code that made the original source code for the Arduino chip that we bought. Mm -hmm. And what he does is he connects to it. And then to start reading the data, he has to send it very specific bytes of data for it to accept um, the connection and then start sending stuff to, to the, to him, which is, uh, I mean, I guess it makes some sense, but, oh, but that's where he was at. So is this similar or what's happening? I mean, I just got to talk about that for just a okay. moment. It's hilarious because Bluetooth does have all these security layers. It's just no one wants to implement them yeah. and they're not that good. Yeah. They don't actually provide any real security. They certainly don't provide any kind of API or communication security or anything like that. So what you found is these people create these ad hoc solutions, these ad hoc encryption s- systems. The one wheel has this. It used to be super easy to trivially Bluetooth connect to it and get, you know, all sorts of data from it. But it doesn't do that anymore. Like you said, you have to connect to one service and the magical decryption key or whatever you want to call it. It's just, you know, a password. <laughs> and then that unlocks all the other stuff and then the, all, all the other stuff works. No, this is totally different, but isn't that silly? Like, way to make a standard. That standard has, like, whole books on its security model, and no mm-hmm. one uses it because it's yeah. too complicated. <laughs> it's just train wreck of uh, standards. No, um, I don't know exactly what's going on here. It could be the chip power cycling because it is a ridiculously low-power device, mm. but I don't think it's quite that. It could be that Apple at the driver level, or at least at the user space level, has a filter on Bluetooth traffic. And I've seen this before when trying to read other Apple devices and things. There's just some data that they filter out from the communications and that your application cannot access, no Mm. matter what. 
unless you went down to like a kernel level and built a kernel add-in or something like that. You're just not going to get that data. So in this case, what, what my next step, and I haven't done this, but the next step to take is you get an independent Bluetooth device. So I can either program my own or you can um, buy these little developer devices on Amazon that are just, you know, <laughs> they don't care about your security and <laughs> they're just going to do whatever they can and they'll, they can report all the traffic. So I'd like to see how one of those more dedicated Bluetooth debugging tools would deal with it, but I haven't done that yet. It could be that it, it works under those conditions because those those tools by necessity are more robust. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes some sense. Hmm. Okay, so the real sad part is no API. Yeah. Except there is an API. Oh. Except this API doesn't work with AirTags. Perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's really hard to tell if we're in a situation where Apple's just a little off pace, because we we know for a fact the AirTags were not released when they wanted them to be released. They got pushed back for whatever reason. And so it could just be that the APIs and the device got a little misaligned. This happens all the time. Or it could be they're never going to let us <laughs> access the AirTags. And it's hard to tell. And my best reason for them not allowing us to access these AirTags is because that multi-peer connectivity that I was discussing before, the way that you discover other devices, it does have an authorization step to it. You know, I can't just connect to your phone without you giving me permission. Uh, you need either my app or a dialogue will appear, something like that. There is a user permission model associated with it. My best guess why this multi-peer, or sorry, why the nearby interaction API is not currently working with the air tags is because there is not the associated security model. These tags get paired to your phone once or whatever, to your iCloud account once, and then it's yours. It's not meant to be read by anyone else. So it's it's awkward because I have so many ideas for this little thing. But first, I'd like to know how you feel about that little misalignment. How does that sound to you? Does that sound like a schedule misalignment or a feature misalignment? Hmm. I don't know. It it feels as though it was. It's got to be a schedule just issue. Like I just you think, think so? that. Yeah, you know the other thing too is I've been listening a lot about the AirTag stuff and potential litigation and things coming their way <laughs> on it and could have been something they wanted to hold back on or, you know, maybe they wanted to make, well, they, maybe they wanted to make tweaks to the API because the interesting thing about this one, right, is that, is that this API for nearby interactions was introduced in iOS 14, right? But yeah. Obviously, the but it's supported on the iPhone 11, which shipped with yeah. I, iOS 13. <laughs> right. So it's like they they came out they came out with this chip and did a thing, but didn't know how to use it yet. And then I, I feel as though the API aligns though with the device at least. They're like thinking about it. So the, my assumption here is like they're like, oh, we're gonna make this API that will at least do something with this chip for developers. And then we're going to use it for our own magical, magical sauce. Cause they're using other APIs. They're not using this API, obviously. Right. They're probably both built upon a lower level API. That's not exposed. I agree yes. with you there. Yeah, totally. 
Yep. Uh, so what, what's your best guess? Do you think this is ever going to work for AirTags or are they going to keep AirTags private? Uh, well, it depends on that litigation. <laughs> um, oh, you really think so? Darn those courts. <laughs> I bet. I bet because I could imagine a world where if, let's say, the other tags out there used official APIs, then maybe they would have advanced you know, blah, blah, blah. And they could integrate into different systems because they're using official APIs. But I would imagine that they probably keep this private for quite a long time, similar to the NFC, right? They, they, they kept that NFC. This feels like an NFC feature, like devices had NFC for a while, but then like they integrated the NFC for Apple pay only. And then three years later, like you can use NFC. <laughs> it's a new, new, crazy technology. Um, <laughs> Well, I think that the use case for this is really weird, though, because what they say for this, you know, session is that it is that you have to maintain these connectivity, right? And and what they use them for now today is not with those AirTags, but with, for phone to phone communication. And this is when it this is how it says it works best, which is why I don't think that this API is used for AirTags at all. Am I too? Am I popping along too fast no. here? Uh, yeah, I think you must. Uh, it, they're not used for communication. There are literally two values given back from this thing. Uh, there's an object called an NI nearby object. And mm-hmm. once you've um, uh, what, paired or whatever, <laughs> traded security tokens with another device, what you get from the two devices are distance and direction. And so their use case is like AR games, yeah. <laughs> like you're playing an AR game with your friend. That seems like the most contrived use case I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I remember when phones first came out, we had that wonderful idea. And that's where that multi-peer connectivity came from. We thought we'd be doing more of these hyper-local games. Mm-hmm. It's just, it turns out people don't want to like toss around their phones in their hands. <laughs> it's just, no. it's something we've learned not to do. So these games haven't really taken off. Um yeah, so it's not a communication thing, but Apple does have communication. That's multi-peer connectivity. Yeah. This nearby integration is just distance and direction. Yeah, because here's what they say. is They say um, nearby interaction is best used when the peer devices are within nine meters of each other. So that's what, 227 feet, 30 feet, something like that. I don't know. I don't know how to calculate. Let's go with that. Let's do so it. In portrait orientation, and they're each facing... They're, they're facing each other with their back camera. So the back of the <laughs> cameras are there. It says, it says NI, that's what they're calling it, detects nearby peer device when it appears within NI's line of sight as illustrated in the diagram below. So it's two iPhones looking at each other with their backs to each other. They're not talking to each other technically. It says the arrow in the center of the cone, they have cones coming out of the center, <laughs> represents the direction vector which extends outward from the center of the phone says the arrow can point anywhere within the cone and the direction. However, the line of sight must be clear of obstacles that could interfere with the U1 chips communication, such as people, vehicles, or walls. That is probably the biggest downside of this. Um, Again, I don't know if the U in U1 stands for ultra wideband. So we'll just Mm. stick with U1 here is they make it very clear that this is a very weak (laughs) visual signal (laughs) so you need to be close by and it needs to be in some visual uh range uh unobstructed visual range they do have one i'm not going to call this a contrived experience but it does sound vaguely nice um a taxi or a rideshare pulling up 
that would be a nice time to have this um, really high accuracy stuff versus GPS, where it's it's harder to tell sometimes. Yeah, it'd be cool if you were in an Uber, right? And the Uber, they put up the phone and then they then you put up your phone. You could like see and exchange some data or something like that. And you could like see, you know, you could you could basically understand like, is this actually the ride share thing that I'm yeah. looking for? Um, yeah, I don't know. Besides that, I'm, I'm really not impressed. Like, yeah, a game that enables a user to control a paddle with their device to, and respond to a moving ball on the peer screen. No one's ever going to do that. No one has friends in the same room. You don't want to throw your phone around in your hand. You just don't. (laughs) I could see like Snapchat using this for their first one where they're talking about like virtual balloons in the hands of the participant, you know, like where they're placing it and you're replacing the phone with something else. Uh, Mm -hmm. But these are pretty minimal use cases for what I'm assuming is under the hood, a very complex API. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Signal theory. It's just it's it's good engineering to make this kind of stuff work. Yeah. The principles are simple enough. It's one of those the implementation is what's is the hard part. Devils in the details. Can I tell you the use case I want? Sure, hit me. <laughs> it's outlandish, but um, uh, the little Lumo robot that I have. It's um a Segway with a little uh, sensor on the top, and it can self balance and it can follow me. I love it a lot. It's a cute little robot. Problem is, it's really not good at following me. <laughs> uh, yeah. They they did their best, but it's like you know, it's it's last generation technology, camera wise, um, mathematics wise. You know, the algorithms that they're running on it. It's last generation, hasn't been updated to neural networks, high fidelity cameras, and all that stuff. The net effect, James, is it gets distracted by the sun and trees. Mm. You know what Seattle has a lot of. Trees, not sun. No, <laughs> but every, <laughs> every so often the sun does come out. And oh my goodness, I cannot get this stupid thing to follow me because every time it sees a tree, it wants to go see, say hi to the tree. And every time it sees the sun, it just freaks out and runs straight into the road. So this would, <laughs> I would like to have a better follow mode. And on my Twitch stream, I talk about this a lot. I, I want to build a better navigation system. But even better than visual and cameras and all that is this like uh, this high precision tracking. This is absolutely perfect. I would love to be able to just have a little chip in my pocket and have the robot follow that chip. That's just the perfect scenario for Mm. me, because then you won't it won't matter if it's day or night. It won't matter if the sun is there. It won't matter if there's a tree that looks like a human is in front of it. It will just follow the signal of that chip with its exact uh, crypt, uh, cryptographic key. So that just sounds perfect to me, and I would like to get that kind of scenario working. That's why I'm so interested in this thing from the developer perspective. But Apple just, they always give you a little bit, but not all, everything that you want. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun API that I hope they do open up in the future to do a lot more with these, you know, chips that are out there there'll be more phones um i am intrigued though like how they're doing stuff well i know how they're doing stuff right because the the thing is with the air tag they may be using this with the air tag when it's close enough but they use that bigger mesh network to triangulate the position and report that back based on the what's what it's like the uh What's that network that it's using? The it's not Bonjour, but it's like the global mesh. Every single iPhone 
yeah. can detect any other iPhone in the entire world. It, it's still it. just multi-peer connectivity. Like you oh, said, okay. it's just a it's just a layer down. The operating yeah. system's doing it all. You, it's just not presented to the user. But yeah, they, they've been doing this kind of um, mesh networking for precision location for a long time with the beacons, you know? And finally. <laughs> they have a, finally. Yeah. Yeah, they have a lot of experience with this. So it's exactly what you said. They're using that old good network, proven. It works well. You know, if you lose your phone, it's pretty easy to find your phone. Uh, assuming you can find another phone <laughs> to find that phone. And then just adding this high precision local part to it. Yeah, I do. I do believe that there is a lot of use cases like we were talking about for different pieces of hardware that could have this U1 chip. I mean, that's the only problem with this API is it's U1 chip based, whereas like beacons were generic, right? But mm-hmm. imagine all those use cases that I talked about earlier, but now they are using the U1 chip and you're getting super accurate, your readings and positions and all these different things. The position is the bigger thing in general, because with beacons and Bluetooth, you kind of have a idea of how close or how far away it is, but you don't know if the thing is moving or pivoting around or things like that, you could, you could build some really cool enterprise you know, applications. If you were able to buy little U1 tags, that's what, it, that's what mm-hmm. you'd want is little U1 tags that cost $3, you know, stick them on well, stuff. App, Apple's not releasing a $3 product. No, <laughs> that's no, not no. going to happen. That's what I'm saying is they would have to license yeah. the U1 right. chip out to one of these beacon makers that does a thing, et cetera, I mean, et cetera eventually we're, there's going to have to be a standard, right? Like we can't have Estimo making UWB, mm. Apple making U1, Samsung making US. Whatever. I don't know what they would call it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can't have that for too long. We can have that for three or four years, but yeah. eventually it shakes out to a standard. So it'll be interesting to see once it's standardized, how, how cheap can you make them? For now, James, $30 and only available on the Apple store. <laughs> I'm in. Well, I'm still probably not going to buy one. I've decided I'm I'm not going to do it. And I'd maybe, I don't know, whenever I lose something, once I lose something that's worth way more than the $30 then I'll probably pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, again, I don't really have a proper use case for it. My use case is pure fantasy based, but for now I'm just leaving it in my backpack. So who knows if my backpack gets stolen, stolen, I can watch it float away <laughs> into the ether. There you go. Well, anything else you want to talk oh, about about these APIs? There is. Oh, I want to wrap up too, but I do want to mention one thing because I did get the blank one because talking about money, Apple charges a lot for all the different co- covers for it that actually make it useful. Oh, there yeah. Is, yeah, you can't actually attach anything to it. It's all mm. round surfaces. It is the worst. <laughs> so... If you are incredibly gutsy, iFixit has a video that shows you one or two spots where you can just drill a hole through it. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> I love Ugh. it. I love it. I don't know if I will personally do that, but much better than that. Um, on Thingiverse, people have come up with good 3D models of it, and they've built all sorts of little devices to snap it into. Nice. So if you have a 3D printer, make sure to go check out Thingiverse. It's It's getting to be pretty big, the selection on there. That's so nice. That's and if you ever want yeah. Frank to print something for you, he totally will. He just will never deliver it to you. So don't worry. It's been printed for a while. <laughs> I'm, 
God, I feel so bad. Oh my God. I think okay. I had you print me two things at this point. Is that correct? Yes. They're both yeah. sitting right behind me, James. Perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> One day. One day. Okay. I am going to be a better friend. That is my summer resolution. You're already a great friend. You're a great friend. You're a great friend. You're fine. You're fine. You know, whatever. You're fine. I'll get it to to you one of these days. Perfect. That sounds great. So we'll see um, by episode 300 if Frank delivers on his promise. That's like a year off, right? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not paying you for these things. So really, the timeline is is as but on your as on your scale at this point. You are invested, though. You you did buy product and I shipped it to me, so you, you do have some skin in the game. I did. I did buy you some things. That is correct. That yeah, is correct. Yeah, it'll be returned to you so, to avoid the lawsuit. <laughs> Whatever. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Let us know what you think about your newfangled air tags or other tags that you have or other really cool uses. Maybe you're using iBeacon still. Let us know. Or into the show, go to mergeconflict.fm. There's a button on there that hits contact, or you can hop in our Discord. You can do all those things. Or you can reach out to us at Twitter at any time. So until next time, there's been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Hey.